Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City employment and civil rights law firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Hello and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. My name is Meyer Nassar, and in this episode today, we have a very special guest. Today, we'll be discussing workplace bullying, the experiences that an individual within the workplace goes through, the difficulty, the challenges, and how we can overcome it. And we're joined today by an individual who has so graciously dedicated her time in fighting for individuals within the workplace, a workplace bullying expert. Linda Crockett is here with us today. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Linda, I'm amazed with all the work that you do. You've been in this field for 32 years. Tell us a little bit about your reasons for getting into this specific area of becoming a workplace bullying expert. At the 22-year mark of my own career in social work, and if anybody knows the profession, we get our hands into a lot of different places. I had years of experience working in poverty, domestic violence, sexual abuse, addictions, medical social work, and I had all kinds of training in investigating and assessing all forms of abuse. I even trained investigators on how to assess and address all kinds of abuse. So at the 22-year mark, I knew how to get through all the different systems that we have in our world, mental health, medical systems, income systems, you name it. But yet I found myself at an absolute bottom because I was going through workplace bullying. I was experiencing it and I didn't know what it was. I had no words wow. to identify it. I knew all kinds of abuse, but I did not know this one. And so it took a very long time for me to figure it out. And by the time I did, I was actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the situation that I was in. I was exposed for over two years. My bully happened to be a psychologist who knew very well how to bully people, how to read them and know their weak spots or their sensitive spots, whatever you want to call it. But I was also bullied by two HR women, a social worker and a pastor. So when you're going through that, you cannot believe that a, a psychologist, a social worker, or a pastor would do such a thing. So you're constantly in self-doubt or isolating or questioning what you think, what you feel, what you see. So when I figured it out, I was devastated. And I have to admit to you, I was even more shamed because I should have known. That's the words that went through my head. I should have known. How could I? I've trained all these people. But that's the same as a doctor missing a diagnosis on their child or a policeman finding out their child is arrested for drugs or whatever. That's the same thing. So we end up in more isolation, more shame. You know, it's very much like domestic violence and sexual assault in the sense that it is very shaming and it often blames the victim. And that silencing and that shaming enables the abuse to continue because everybody's full of doubt or nobody wants to get involved or everybody's afraid. So when I went through it and realized this was it, I did some research and I looked for some help and there was nobody. There was no one. I tried different therapists to try to process and vent 
And they actually made me worse because they really didn't know what they were doing. And they used the wrong treatment modality on me. So it made my injury even worse. And of course, insurance companies and unions, nobody knew what they were doing. So I knew how to do my recovery work. My training had taught me what to do. I decided to get my master's degree specializing in this area because it really impacted me that if I couldn't navigate these systems, how is someone who is not educated like I am, who is not experienced like I am? And what about those people that don't speak English as a first language? I was really concerned that there were going to be many more after me. And it was horrible to be alone going through that and misunderstood. So that's the passion behind the drive of mine to do a research and find out what we needed. And I discovered that there was actually a recovery center in Germany and a day treatment program in Norway. And I thought, we need a center here. We need a center in Canada. And that's why I started the Workplace Bullying Center to do research, to do recovery programs, to do some teaching and training. But you in the USA, you have the Workplace Bullying Institute with Dr. Gary Namey as well. So I went and got his training too. And over the last 10 years, I've been running this company. And I swear, I have never not been busy because it's an epidemic. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously, this is a very difficult topic that deals with a lot of individuals because everyone that is an employee works within the workplace. The experiences are difficult to necessarily understand from a perspective of themselves, but also so much to communicate it and so much misunderstandings exist as a result of trying to figure out what is happening, what's going on. So Linda, in terms of how would you define, I guess there's so many different ways and so many different patterns in which workplace bullying occurs. Can you shed a little bit of light on what types of bullying and what type of patterns you've seen? Well, I can touch on the definition. I can give you a little bit about my own experience and how I define it, as well as I'm going to read for you a very loaded paragraph that really defines it well. And if you want, I'll send you the paragraph with the references and you can post it and then people can read it. Really, workplace bullying is not at all like childhood bullying. And that's the one we have to try to shift that stigma or stereotype. It's not childhood bullying where it's primarily aggressive. It can be psychological, obviously, at school as well and verbal and cyber. But workplace bullying is primarily psychological. Of course, it will escalate to physical and aggressive, but it is primarily psychological harassment. That's the terminology we use here is psychological harassment, psychological violence. So it's an abuse of power and power comes in many forms, whether it's top down or bottom up or if it's peer to peer, it comes in many forms. And there are many definitions depending on what researcher, what country, what province, what state. There's a little bit of terminology that changes and then people get wrapped up in that definition. So I'll read for you this loaded paragraph and then I'll tell you a little bit more about how I see it. The paragraph starts, workplace bullying signifies emotional abuse encompassing subtle and or obvious negative psychosocial behaviors embodying aggression, hostility, and intimidation, generally characterized by persistence, exhibited by workplace insiders and or outsiders operating individually and or as a group, to an individual employee or a group of employees during the course of the latter's work. Being interpersonal and or organizational in level, the display of negative behaviors, which most often bears the mark of influences from within, and or without, outside the workplace, occurs privately or publicly, and in real or in cyber forms. In the context of an existing or evolving unequal power relationship between the parties, while targets of workplace bullying, notwithstanding the harm they undergo, often strive towards well-being, protagonists, like bullies, bystanders, and employers experience varied outcomes. 
I think that's a really good definition, so I'll send it to you. But to break it down, really, it means a variety of negative tactics being used towards an employee or a group of employees, which over time causes an injury. And similar to domestic violence and sexual assault or even combat trauma, over time, as the saying goes, it becomes death by a thousand cuts. And it is not just, it's death of a career, death of a reputation, death of a bank account, death of your home, because you could lose your home. And I have clients who have lost their home. It's death of self-esteem, self-confidence, death of safety, a sense of safety in your workplace. There are times when these negative behaviors are deliberate, conscious, planned, predatory. Absolutely. But there are also times when it's not. And in these cases, these negative behaviors are a person has gotten away with it for many, many years. In fact, they've been promoted or they've received bonuses for their behaviors or they've even been hired because of these behaviors. So over time, when you get away with these negative behaviors, when you're really abrasive and aggressive and incivil and all that, you get away with that. The more you do that, the more disconnected you become from that moral gauge that most of us have that says that's wrong. That's right. That's wrong. You can't behave that way. If you get away with it and you get bonuses for it, you're just going to get further and further away. And a lot of targets of bullying have often been told and dismissed that they are too sensitive. And my saying is those bullies are too insensitive. Those bullies are too abusive. It isn't about me being sensitive. I don't cause anybody any harm by being sensitive. In fact, I'm hired because I'm sensitive as a social worker. It helps me to be creative, step outside the box, problem solve. So there's nothing wrong with being sensitive, even though that's not the problem. My definition there is that we need to hold them accountable. We need to make those complaints so that we force them, even if on a mandatory basis, to come and get some help. Miss Crockett, I actually have a question I wanted to ask you. In your experience, I guess, over the years that you've worked in this field, what group or groups of people have you seen be most prevalent as those who are the bullies, so to speak? And then conversely, what group or groups of people have you seen have made the most frequent complaints about being bullied? And I guess that question is intended to be fairly broad because it could be that you see persons in management or you see maybe the highest levels of management be the most likely to be engaged in bullying tactics. And then conversely, the people who are bullied the most Mm -hmm. could be someone who's their direct report or Mm -hmm. somebody who is, say, the newest members on the job, the newest members of the employer. So I'm very interested to know in terms of your experience, what you've seen. In cases of of the perpetrators of bullying, every single one that has been sent to me, and they're usually sent to me after an investigation substantiates that bullying occurred, they will be sent to me on a mandatory basis. If you want to keep your job, you've got to come and see Linda Crockett or else you're terminated. And out of all of the ones that I've seen, only one refused to come in and she did resign. And she was actually escorted out of my office because of her violent ways. But for the most part, I primarily do see men, although there are women who bully as well, clearly. They're all in leadership roles. They're all leadership roles. The research shows us that up to 74% of bullying in the workplace comes from leadership. So we obviously have a problem there. All the ones I've seen are leaders. And they're from different industries, oil and gas, construction, nursing. I had a lawyer come in, believe it or not. (laughs) So I see all kinds, really. When it comes to those that they are targeting, A lot of people think that it's that stereotype childhood stuff that you're actually targeting the meek or milder, the person that's not really strong or doesn't really speak up, but in this case, not true at all. Not true at all. 
that's part of that shaming factor. And that's part of that other reason why most of us isolate when we go through it. But it's not true at all. The pattern that we're seeing and the type of people that we see are actually very strong, very resilient, highly educated, very vocal. They're usually the ones that have very high standards for themselves. Some of them are actually workaholics. They go above and beyond the call of duty, very dedicated, very loyal, very ethical, and maybe even politically naive too at times. So they'll stand up and say that's wrong. They're always fighting for the underdog. They're not really typically the type of people that ask for help for themselves, but they're happy to help other people. It's not to say that these people are perfect. I, honestly, I would hire 98% of them if I could because they're the employer's dream, in my opinion, because of how hardworking and dedicated they are. But no one deserves that abuse, whether they're annoying, whether they have something about them that's different, no one deserves to be abused by them. So typically the reasons that I see if that answers your question too, the typical the reasons that I see these people bully for the most part is that we're putting people in positions of leadership. They're not qualified. They're not trained. They're not competent. And they feel insecure. And they feel very threatened by competent employees that stand out. We get hired into a position of management and we're proud of ourselves. We like that paycheck. We're not about to tell somebody, I don't think I can do the job. We're going to fake it. We're going to do that imposter syndrome thing. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, in comes an employee who's very competent, has skills we wish we had. And what are we going to do? We're going to try and diminish their light. We're going to try and diminish their skills so that we don't look bad and we can keep the job. Or maybe even get rid of them because they're a threat. But nobody's going to admit that. Happy people do not bully. Competent, confident people do not bully. So if you're going to hire a leader, make sure you're hiring for merit. Make sure that you're willing to train them. Make sure you're willing to monitor them and mentor them. And set leaders up for success because then you're setting staff up for success. And what would you advise, even though it doesn't come up very often, we do receive phone calls and speak to people who are in supervisory roles and high-level employees who are being bullied by their team, let's say, by subordinates of theirs, by lower-level employees. Mm -hmm. They threaten them. They're intimidated by them. And at the same time, they're somewhat fearful to complain and ashamed because they feel their supervisor and I'm in a position of power. So I should be able to do something about this on my own. I should be able to handle it. And in my experience, a lot of times these people are frozen and they don't know what to do and they're really affected very negatively. Yeah. And what would you tell those people who are being harassed by a subordinate of theirs? Well, yeah, like I said, it happens top down and bottom up. And you know, if mm -hmm. a subordinate is getting away with bullying their leader, then there's probably some leadership skills that need to be developed there to manage that. But also the leaders, mm -hmm. the leaders need to be a cohesive team. So they need to be supporting each other. If they see something like that happening, they need to be stepping in and helping that leader to address it. I mean, this is the importance of legislation and laws in place so that policies aren't just a piece of paper, that they have some teeth to them and that people can actually give some consequences for this malicious behavior. So you touched upon it and in terms of management and people that are in positions of leadership, when they are engaging in these acts of bullying, you touched upon the idea that they are motivated in some sense by their underlying insecurity, which is really leading them to bully the people that they they oversee in terms of their teams and people that they work with. Do you ever see any other forms of motivation that could also be a part of it? Oh, absolutely. There's all kinds of reasons. We cannot resolve this with just one brush or define it or you know correct it with one brush. Each case is unique. Each individual is unique. Each narcissist is unique. Each sociopath, each insecure leader. 
So there's all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they have underlying trauma of their own. They might have had other forms of abuse in their childhood or young adulthood. We know with research that children that are born into chaotic homes, whether there's domestic violence or sexual abuse, or maybe their parents have addictions or they're mentally ill and not in treatment, multiple partners, that these children are at a higher risk of becoming bullies or bullied or both. So some of the bullies that we're seeing are those people that have grew up in an environment that was chaotic, or they have a bully parent. I've certainly seen a few of those. There are some that have a mental illness that have not been diagnosed, or perhaps it is diagnosed, but they're refusing treatment. There are times when they just want to climb that ladder and they're going to step on anybody to get there. And that's more on that narcissistic side of the spectrum. There are times when they're absolutely burnt out. They're running on empty and they cannot handle another staff member coming up and asking them a question. And they're just constantly biting and snapping. They might have a physical illness. One of the fellows that I treated that came to me, I mean, most bullies that come to me it's mandatory. And they come with hours of excuses and justifications and minimizations and accusations and blaming and blaming. And it takes a while to get through that. But we get through that. One particular person that came to see me, he was so caught red handed with videos and photographs and copies of documents and things that he had done. There was nothing he could say, but okay, I need help. And once we got through the assessments, it turned out he suffered from a mental illness, generalized anxiety disorder. He suffered a panic attack every day on the way to work, which is absolute hell in and of its own. In addition to that, he suffered from a gastrointestinal disease, Crohn's disease, and he never never went to a doctor, didn't get any treatment for any of these things, suffered and suffered and suffered, didn't have vacations, didn't have a social life. You can see right there, there's two main problems that could drive bullying behaviors. So let's treat that, get that stable. We did that. The next thing that came out of that was he was a leader. He was probably about 35, a very good, loved his job, but there was no HR department. There were no policies and procedures. Those are high risk factors. If you don't have policies and procedures, then your leaders are floundering. And sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're bad guys, and they never feel great about what they're doing. So you need HR, even if it's just contracted. You need policies and procedures for him to have guidelines so he doesn't screw up. So we dealt with that, but then there was still a fourth one. It turned out that his leader was forcing him to cut some of the safety processes, which meant in the oil and gas field, this could cause an explosion and kill people. No wonder he was having a panic attack on the way to work every day. No wonder he was carrying all that weight, that he was behaving the way he was. When we finally cut through all those layers, he was a lovely young man. So that really shed a lot of light. I mean, I think the most learning I've gotten is from working with these people. And talking about HR and having procedures in place and policies and promulgating that to employees, do you find in your experience that HR departments and, and management in general are more receptive and responsive to complaints about certain types of bullying than others in terms of bullying someone because of their weight or if someone's bullied because of the shirt that they're wearing, an employer might not take it very seriously because they say to themselves, you know, get over it. Or, I mean, do you see there are certain things that all employers tend to kind of brush aside mm -hmm. and not respond to? Yeah, that's a big one to answer because every HR person is different in the sense of what their background is. Some of right. them are just taken from an accounting department and thrown into the HR role. They're not trained. They're not certified. Right. And some people take right. a, a one-year course. Some people take the full degree. So you've got various mm -hmm. levels of education, various levels of experience. 
and tolerance for that reason too, right? That's going to right. affect your tolerance, your understanding mm -hmm. and your response and how you're going to deal with it. So I think that's one of the main problems we have out there is that we need standards for HR so that they're consistent right. and they're actually trained, not just thrown a title and expected to go figure out the job because they're making big mistakes. The best art HR I see out there are the ones that are belong to a professional association. Like a third party. Yeah. yeah they're accountable for their actions, right? I yes. mean, HR is in a pretty tough place. They are, they're not the bosses. They have to listen to the bosses. And if the bosses are the right. bullies, you're in a tough spot for that person because you need a paycheck too, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then sometimes they're very ethical, very kind, and they're really struggling watching the abuse that's going on. But sometimes they're also power tripping people too. And they like to, they're a bit of bullies on it as well. It's true. And what would you tell someone who feels that, I guess you touched on it before, that this isn't really bullying, I'm just being sensitive. Is there a line between inappropriate behavior and bullying? Or if you're offended by it and you feel uncomfortable by it, by its definition, it's bullying. I mean, is that how people should look well, at it? Well, the way that I teach when I train on this is that it's according to research, it's workplace bullying. If these behaviors, negative behaviors, these tactics, Mm -hmm. The gossip, the rumors, the eye rolling, the sabotage, the mm -hmm. ostracism, all of those tactics that we talk about, if they continue for six months or more with some form okay. of intent to cause harm. Now, we okay. are now seeing very valid cases of three months. So I start training now and saying, if you see a variety of tactics, meanness, rudeness, abrasiveness, incivility, all that, mm -hmm. but it's over a period of three months or more. And there is harm mm -hmm. caused where you no longer feel safe or you feel embarrassed or humiliated or shamed or whatever. We are then potentially looking at a case of workplace bullying. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So it's really in some sense based upon an overtime experience yeah. uh, that, that we want to be able to look into all those factors that kind of play into the actual experience. With that experience in mind for the victim of the bullying, what are the emotional and psychological impact? that they really have to deal with? What kind of strategies do you have in mind in terms of overcoming them? Mm -hmm. I think we're all pretty much on the same page about, you know, it affects your sleep first because all of us lay in bed at night when things are quiet and we start processing issues, concerns, confusion. What happened? How do I get out of this? How do I stop? Uh oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? So some of us never get to fall asleep because we're ruminating, or we wake up at two, three in the morning, and then we're up for hours because we're scared, right? We're confused, and we just want it to stop. So I think the first thing to go is our sleep. And if that goes, then you know that you're at high risk of anxiety, because you're now very vulnerable, you're tired. And there's some studies out there that show you if you're suffering from insomnia, you might as well show up to work drunk, because you're uncoordinated, you're not being your full capacity is not on board. And you're probably going to make mistakes. You're probably going to say or do something you normally wouldn't do. Or maybe you're going to cause an injury for yourself or someone else. So I think you look at that sort of domino effect. You're not sleeping. Now you're not functioning. And after anxiety kicks in, if you don't get some treatment for that, you're going to end up with panic attacks. And if you end up with anxiety and panic attacks, you're now going to feel insecure. You're going to lose confidence. You're going to isolate more because you feel vulnerable. And all that stress is showing up in your body as well. So some of us carry our stress in our gut. You're going to end up with IBS or ulcers or GERD, acid reflux, or maybe you're going to get Crohn's disease or diverculitis. An awful lot of researchers focusing now on how it's impacting our hearts, the cardiac conditions. 
We have men and women that have died at the office with no cardiac history, but the stress of work. There's a case of Brenda Duhim who took her husband's case. Oh no, it was Lisa Donovan of PEI who took her husband's case to WCB. He died of a heart attack and she won her case proving there was no cardiac condition, that it was stress that caused this man to die. And I have clients who've had strokes. My colleague in another city has clients that have had heart attacks. This is very serious. So our nervous systems are built to handle crises. We certainly have that those chemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, epinephrine, all those chemicals mm-hmm. that help us survive crises. But that's meant to go up and down and up and down and up and down. It's not meant to stay up high. Stay up. If it stays up high constantly, like domestic violence, sexual assault, workplace bullying, combat, those chemicals are going to turn on you and become poison, toxic. And then you're going to, it's mm-hmm. going to attack your immune system. You're going to have inflammation and all those are high risk factors for catching viruses, colds, and then disease. And then you're looking at long-term disability cases. And then every other staff has to suffer because the short staff, it's just a big domino. As far as psychological injuries go, the main diagnosis that we see with people who have suffered this is depression, anxiety, adjustment disorder, PTSD, cumulative PTSD, And we call it a workplace bullying trauma, a trauma of betrayal, because it is a trauma of betrayal, internal and external systems betrayal. Mm -hmm. I think I remember what I was saying before we began that question. It was more along the lines of the experience involving how we identify workplace bullying in terms of the temporal nature, how much time over time. And so I mentioned that it was to some extent from what I understood, it's something that happens over a course of time sometimes at least three months. I guess, do you see it less than that? Well, the point that I was going to make, thank you for helping me remember that, (laughs) was that those early warning signs that we have brushed off for decades now, oh, it's just Mm -hmm. a personality conflict. Don't do that anymore. Or it's just the way they are. You know, just leave it alone. That's just who they are. These are such common comments that we just dismiss. You need to see that abrasive, incivil, rude, meanness as red flags. Get those before they become progresses to bullying. And then you've got a whole different spectrum when it becomes bullying from psychological harassment to violence. So catch those early signs and don't minimize and dismiss them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of people that are going through these difficult circumstances, obviously dealing with all of the emotional, mental, psychological impacts of experiencing the bullying effect, what kind of techniques would you give or give them some options in terms of how to cope and overcome these challenges that they're experiencing within the workplace? Well, there's a couple of things that I would say. uh, First of all, as soon as you think something isn't feeling right, something's going wrong, we want you to start documenting document, document, and document as if you're standing in front of a judge, just the facts. Don't throw in your assumptions or your, um, I guess this, or I think this, none of that. Pretend you're talking to a police officer and give them the facts. Who was there? What was said? Exactly. Dates and times, but document. And if you get nasty emails or voicemails, save those, but keep them off site. And I highly recommend for your mental health and your self-confidence that you keep them in one location. Because when we're really stressed, we tend to throw things in the kitchen and then in the dining room and in the living room and the bedroom and the bathroom. And then if it's scattered all over the place, your head is starting to ruminate. Oh, where's that? Where's that? What did I say? Where did that go? Keep it in one binder with your policies and procedures. Know what they are. 
read your boring policies and procedures, even though it's dry, know your rights and have that information in one spot. And look at your legislation. What is the law in the area that you live in? Understand that. Look at your insurance. Do you have benefits? Can you see a therapist? What you want to do is see a doctor because a doctor is another professional that is documenting what's going on in your life and also monitoring your system, monitoring your symptoms and making sure that you're okay, your sleep, etc., and your anxiety. See a therapist that understands workplace bullying. We are different types of therapists. And we are training therapists right now so that we are doing a great job and not causing any more delays or harm. So see a therapist that understands that. If you can't find one, Dr. Gary Namey or I will help you find one because that's another professional documenting your story. If you are finding that you're very, very ill, you can't cope and you're afraid you're going to make a mistake and give the bully ammunition, then you need to consider sick leave. And talk to your doctor about that and take some time to distance from the constant insults to your nervous system. Take really good care of yourself. I think the first thing that we do when we're stressed is we stop eating healthy. We stop sleeping healthy. We stop doing our exercise and all those things that give us pleasure like music or walking in nature. You actually have to fight those urges to eat the chips and the the chocolate bars and the alcohol or whatever else it is you're trying to do to numb out. You have to try and fight that. Get some help. Eat healthy. Sleep well. Do those walks. Listen to that music. Maintain a balance because your nervous system is on overdrive and you're actually going to cause yourself some more harm. So you need to take care of yourself. And I know that for some people, when I say this, they laugh a lot. I say yoga is the best treatment for trauma. And the reason that is, is because when we're in trauma, We are often on one side of our brain, not the entire brain. All full capacity of our brain is not on board. And you're usually in that center where you're very emotional or disorientated and not so logical when you're stressed and traumatized. So yoga will get both sides of your brain on board. It will also connect body and mind. And you need body and mind, left brain, right brain on board to have full capacity to process and survive what's going on. So yoga will get you back there. And so will meditation. If you look at a brain that is completely stressed on an MRI and it's all chaotic inflammation and stuff, and then you do 10 minutes of meditation, you'll see significant changes in that brain, just 10 minutes. Is there a specific form of meditation that you recommend? I would highly recommend mindfulness meditation. Okay. Trauma is all about anxiety and anxiety is Mm -hmm. about you leaving your body. You've gone into the past and you're ruminating about what happened in the past, or you've gone into the future and you're scared to death of what's happening next. So you're not right here in the moment. We're Mm -hmm. absolutely safe. So we need to teach people about being more present, being more mindful, breath work. And so yoga and meditation on mindfulness is highly recommended. Yeah, that's absolutely gold right there. That's value. Uh, Thank you so much, Linda. Jeff and Casey, I wanted to touch upon the different aspects that involve bullying and then the underlying motivations, the motivations that potentially make these situations unlawful. As we know, within especially New York, where we practice, and I'm assuming most of the country, and certainly I'm not familiar with all the laws in all the different states, but workplace bullying without, let's say, a physical assault or a battery isn't necessarily unlawful. And without having some unlawful aspect in terms of what motivates the behavior, how would you recommend in terms of how to navigate that situation under the law? 
Well, I'm in Alberta, Canada, where we finally have a law. As of June 1st, 2018, we got our law. Our harassment now included bullying. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's still a bit watered down because it defines harassment as a single or a repeated injury. Harassment, regular harassment can be a single incident, but psychological harassment is never a one-time incident. But up, right. until, but up until this law came out, I mean, policies were just a piece of paper. There was nothing anybody could really do. I could call you a useless waste of space and get away with it. People would go to human rights here and they would say, sorry, it's not in the act. You're not covered if we call you a useless waste of space in front of 10, 20 people. So that's horrific. And usually workplace yeah. bullying will weave in between all those protected grounds. It's not direct about your race. Mm-hmm. It's not direct about your sexual uh, your gender or your orientation. It's in between all that. People are quite careful right. about that. So again, documentation is incredibly important. You're going to have to make a case. You're going to have to prove it. So you need to know what you're talking about, what is and what isn't bullying. So take a course in this, learn about it, read about it and start documenting. If you're really not sure what to do about it, contact someone like me. You've got Gary in the state. You've got me here contact one of us and we can process and develop a strategy that's best for you. Jeff, what do you think in terms of the distinction between workplace bullying and unlawful harassment and discrimination within the workplace? How can you provide us a little bit of a distinction in terms of the differences that exist in terms of the law within New York, at least? From a legal standpoint in New York and, and really the rest of the country in the US, and I'm assuming it it's like that in Canada or it was like that, What matters is the motivation behind the act. So from a legal, strictly legal standpoint, it really doesn't matter what someone is doing or how they're doing it. All that really matters is why they're doing it. And unfortunately, from a legal standpoint, like Linda was saying before, unless you are able to prove that the motivation behind the bullying was based on a protected trait, which is specifically enumerated in statute, such as your race or your age or your national origin, disability, sexual orientation, religion, so forth, it is not illegal. And a lot of employers we see basically disregard and ignore any complaints that they don't feel are going to open them up to legal liability. And unless they believe that they have a chance of being sued and they have a chance of being held legally liable, they just don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's a real problem that we encounter are people that complain. And on the same note in New York, when you're complaining about anything but illegal harassment, illegal bullying, it's not protected against retaliation. Mm -hmm. So we see people who are doing everything that they should be doing Mm -hmm. and trying to rectify the situation and complaining Mm -hmm. only to be retaliated against and lose their job. And as of right now in the current status of the law, there's nothing as attorneys that we can Mm do. And it turns into a mental health sort of issue Mm -hmm. as opposed to a legal issue, which is a real shame because it should be illegal. And it becomes real issues when people are complaining about, you know, yeah, this person did make some racially derogatory comment to me, but there also is a pattern of bullying that's not related Mm -hmm. to that person's Mm -hmm. race and becomes a gray area as to, wait, is this person complaining about race discrimination or are they complaining about general bullying? And it becomes very difficult to prove that the retaliation was actually in response to the allegation of discrimination and not in response to the allegation of horrendous bullying. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the uh, issue. We have the yeah. same issue here. As, I think it's, it's worldwide. Same issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. ours says the person ought to have reasonably know that it would cause harm. That's part of our act. The person ought reasonably know. Right. So today, you know, mm-hmm. if I say you're a useless waste of space, I know that's going to hurt you. Right. That's why training is so important. That's part of our act. The training must happen with all employees mm-hmm. because we need all employees on board with what is and what isn't that can decrease those malicious complaints, those false complaints, and it will help right. people identify it quite sooner and more accurately as well. So training is very important. Investigations, mm-hmm. I don't know where, about where you are, but where I am, there's no standardized process for investigations. It's the same here. Incredible. Right. There's no regulatory body, which is really creating a terrible mess out there because it's a lot of really flawed investigations. Of course. They're not right. trained. They should be trauma informed. But these nuances that you're talking about, investigators need to be trained in these psychological hazards and injuries, right? In Correct. order to identify all those subtle little microaggressive things that are going on, those nuances, because it's not always race related or protected grounds related. Exactly. So we need more education. We need more. When this, we didn't have our law. We were relentless about teaching on social media, petitioning, protesting, meeting with politicians, constantly teaching, 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 and trying to get people to come forward and talk about it and break that silence. And it worked. We got our law, but we still have a long way to go, to be honest. We have a long way to go yet. Is that law for all of Canada or is it province specific? Each province has their different law. We have a new bill coming out for Canada for federal, but again, it's just for federal employees. Oh, okay. But I mean, when I started this 10 years ago, there was only maybe two provinces here that had laws against it or any legislation whatsoever. Now all of Canada is finally on board. So it's getting better. Yeah. Hopefully the U.S. will follow. I hope so. Gary's working hard out there. (laughs) Okay, good. So Casey, just to kind of follow up on this with respect to workplace bullying and just kind of touching upon what Jeff said about protected activity, a lot of times people confuse the concept of workplace bullying with the legal terminology of a hostile work environment or a toxic workplace. Can you give a little bit of information or guidance on the distinction for purposes of our audience today? Sure. What I'll say is it is one of the most common and one of the most, I guess, difficult conversations that we have with potential clients is we have a number of people who contact our law office practically every day who tell us that they're being harassed or that they're suffering from a hostile work environment. And it's always a very difficult conversation when we kind of vet about what it is that they're speaking and trying to get to the legal merits of that to determine whether something crosses that line from being just generalized workplace bullying into something that would be a cognizable legal claim, which carries with it a specific term of an unlawful hostile work environment. I always have to tell people that just because something is going on in the workplace that is wrong and something that shouldn't happen does not necessarily mean that it rises to the level of being unlawful. And that distinction is, I mean, it's very definable. It's very defined, at least with respect to the state of New York, what a hostile work environment is. And like Jeff said, it has to be something that's based upon a protected characteristic. It has to be bullying or it has to be a mistreatment that manifests in a way that arises due to somebody's protected characteristic, whether that be race, gender, national origin, sexual orientation, disability, age, etc. What I have seen, right, what I have seen is ordinarily people who bully at least insofar as the people who are contacting our office, 
it ordinarily is not necessarily because of some protected trait, or it's not necessarily because they don't like the person, but it's a product of some form of insecurity or perhaps some underlying mental disorder, which I'm by no means qualified to diagnose. But it's that some kind of aspect of that insecurity or feeling as though there's a vulnerability, which I have to now manifest in a way that is going to be mistreating somebody. But I'm hopeful that the laws change. I mean, I think that would be good. I think it would be useful. But I also tell people, I say, if you want to try to help things get better, you have to complain. And for the employer side, I think companies are going to be more attractive to good candidates and companies are going to be better operational if they have mechanisms that address this and correct it. Because nobody wants to be in a position where they're made to feel mistreated at work. So it's a tough conversation I have with people. And I'm hopeful that companies and people can get on the same page to correct things in terms of workplace bullying. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about motivation for why some companies are allowing this to continue, especially when you've got mm -hmm. research that shows you the multiple millions that it's costing them every year not dealing with it. There's got to be yeah. some other motivation. And sometimes it's just greed. Sometimes it is just money. Sometimes it's just that addiction to power. And sometimes it's because your friend is the one that's doing it. And you're not about to rock any boat with your friend. Yeah. yeah. And I, to, to pair it that. That's what we see a lot. And I think it, a lot of times it's very difficult to change the status quo. And you're going to need authorization from the top levels on down who might not want to change the way things are done, at least insofar as we've seen. We've seen things that we believe are very easily correctable or something that could be with a minimal amount of effort to remedy, which companies are just unwilling to do. And then sometimes the digging in of the heels on things that they know are wrong baffle us at times. Yeah, me too. I see that as well. And sometimes they're covering something else up and they don't want it exposed. You know, maybe there was an affair in the workplace. Maybe there was a, somebody who's drinking and they'll often cover it up and not want the rest exposed because it's another domino. They'll get caught. I remember one bully type, I would call him a serial bully. He was constantly using favoritism as a way to bully his targets. And he would put somebody up on a pedestal and, and brag and talk about how great that person was. And it really wasn't anything to do with that person. It had everything to do with another one. They were trying to make feel like crap. Feel bad. But as soon as this person on a pedestal got really smart and up to speed on their job and actually started to outdo the bully, he knocked her off that pedestal so fast and put another one on the pedestal to get her. Well, she was so smart. She started to collect information against him and found out that he was extorting money. This is a nonprofit, a well-known nonprofit here that you would actually do if I wow. said. And she caught him extorting money. So now we know why he was constantly scapegoating all these other people and keeping the attention off of him. So I see that as underlying causes as well. Self-preservation. Mm -hmm. Linda, thank you so much for taking out the time to speak with us today. I think this has been an amazing, amazing, informative podcast to really talk about what people experience within the workplace, especially when it comes to bullying. Once again, thank you. Thank you, Jeff and Casey, obviously, for taking out the time to do this. This is an opportunity to really inform our audience about their rights within the workplace. So just wanted to say thank you for listening and Thanks, listen, uh, listen in on the next podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today.
visit our website at nisarlaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.